Hello and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corcor Foundation for Mental Health. I'm Terry, the creator and co-host of this podcast. I've lived with depression most of my life, and I know how easy it can be to feel all alone in the experience. I'm not alone, and you aren't either. And I'm Dr. Anita Sands, a licensed clinical psychologist and life coach with a number of my own diagnoses, all of which bring a certain amount of anxiety and depression along with them. There is great power in shared experiences. We share our own as we engage in intimate and candid conversations with our weekly guests, exploring different perspectives on and experiences with depression. We keep it real because depression is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. So this episode is going to be a little different than others, mostly because I am going to essentially be the guest. And the way this came up is that I was talking to Anita, who, remember, is a psychologist, and I was saying that I have a bad back and that I know that times of stress put me at greater risk for it going out. And I've known this my whole life. So when I'm in a stressful situation or going into one, I do everything I can to not have my back go out because I just can't. It, it hurts and I can't afford to lose all that time. So you're going to see heating pads. You're going to see me on the floor. You're going to see me stretching. I'm going to move a lot more slowly and not risk throwing my back out. And as a result of doing this podcast for five years, I've learned that in the instances where you get a warning that your depression could be triggered or coming on, there are things we can do. And that was the situation I found myself in recently when my mother, who was in her late 90s, uh, went into the hospital. This was a year ago. And we were pretty much told that this was the end and kids flew home and we were talking hospice. And I was a hot mess. And I knew I was at great risk for depression. And she pulled through. But she was 97, so I knew that it was inevitable that we would be in that situation again. And so I was proactive and did something I've never done before, which was get a new therapist and basically prepare for her death. Um, I think that any intimate relationship, there is some some work that needs to be done at its end. And if you're lucky enough to know that it is ending, there are I's to dot and T's to cross so that you really are at peace with the letting go. And I spent 11 months getting ready for my mother's death, which happened um, about 10 days ago. And when I was talking to Dr. Sands about it, and she said that is one of the skills sets that I teach my clients, and she calls it stress and energy forecasting. And so this episode is going to be a little bit about my personal experience, and hopefully more about her experience as a therapist and teaching people to anticipate times that they need more support. And so that's the micro macro of this. You know, we're going to look at the big picture and we're going to look at my picture as an example. So Anita, tell us what stress and energy forecasting is and how it can help us in times, the mental equivalent of our backs being at risk of going out. Yeah, and I love that example because it 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 makes sense. It's it's universal. And I think when it comes to physical health, we're we're better about remembering that if we do some things to prevent things from getting worse, that makes sense. 
but I don't think we always think about it in terms of our, our mental health. For some reason, you know, self-care is like a separate category from the stress forecasting. We just think, well, we should all just be taking care of ourselves somehow. But if you can get a little bit more sophisticated about it and start thinking about stress forecasting exactly the way that we do weather forecasting, you know, you're going to pick what you're going to wear if you're going out based on what the weather has been forecasted to be. You're going to grab an umbrella if, if there's the chance of rain is over 50%. So I love being able to think about stress that's occurring, you know, on a weekly basis, even a daily basis, and thinking, now, what could be the fallout from this? If I'm having a lot of additional stressors, things that I'm not used to having to deal with, can I forecast out what my energy levels and my mood and my needs will be in the future? And the answer is yes, you can do that. And what you were talking about with anticipatory grief, you know, knowing that at some point you would lose your mom, there were going to be a lot of stressors involved, a lot of um, feelings to process. This is a great example of doing some of that kind of stress and energy forecasting. It's not that we can pre-grieve, but right. you can give yourself the opportunity to get close to something that's very difficult at a pace that's a little easier than if it, boom, just hits you out of the blue. And by doing that, reduce the amount of the impact and the shock because you've been considering what's going to happen. You've been thinking about it. You might even let yourself feel some of the feelings that are related to the, the event that could be coming up. So, yeah, being able to think, how am I going to be functioning? How am I going to be feeling a week from now, a month from now? If we're dealing with a lot of stress or in your situation, how am I going to be doing with this huge, you know, loss that's that's about to happen in my life? You don't know when, but you know when it happens, I'm going to have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So you got yourself into therapy and... I'm curious about what happened in that space with the therapist. What what were you able to accomplish in that space with her? Oh, I think it was very interesting because at first it was just, hey, mom's 97. We thought she was going to die. She didn't. But, you know, sooner than later, she certainly was going to. And I had to do some work before it happened or I was going to be leveled when it did. Mm -hmm. And we talked a lot. I mean, that, that's what it was. It was talk therapy. Um, and, and then at my therapist's suggestion, I talked to my mom a lot. And, you know, I, there were the questions I had. You know, some were, hey, tell me about your childhood. And some were, hey, tell me about mine. Um, I just didn't want to have any, I don't know, questions, any open issues when she did die because... I don't know, you can't tie it up in a neat little bow, but you can certainly feel more settled about it. And, you know, I was able to be more present for her in those final days because I was not full of questions and angst. I was um, very peacefully, actually, letting her go because she was almost 98 and she was ready to go. And so I, it wasn't about me and my unfinished stuff. It was about her and wanting peace for her. Right. No, it sounds like that. that's what happened is that you gave yourself a chance to get close to feelings and, and processing 
what was going to happen with your mom dying in a way that you got close to some tough stuff. I mean, those are difficult feelings and that's really, that's really hard to do. But instead of denying it or pretending everything's going to be fine or I'll deal with it when I get there, which that's a good strategy for some things, but powerful emotions, if we can let ourselves get close to, to those feelings without them overwhelming us because the pace is okay. We can, we have a little bit of control over that. You're right. You're saying by the time your mom was dying, it wasn't about you. You had, you had already let yourself get close to and feel a lot of tough stuff beforehand. And I, and I will often, you know, talk to my clients about that to say, listen, death and dying and loss and, and, um, and, and scary things we don't want to think about and we don't want to feel those feelings or sometimes we're afraid we'll get completely overwhelmed by them. But I say it's sort of like, um, if you had a candle and a flame and, and you put your hand over it, not to burn it, but just you would hold it there until it was just hot enough that you're like, okay, that's, that's enough. That's too hot. And then approach it again. And then when it gets too much, you back off again. But, but that ability to do that, to, to, to trust that I can handle these tough feelings and get, get close to them, feel them back off when I need to. Mm. I think it just strengthens your ability when those feelings really are going to hit hard. Y- you have some familiarity with them. Mm-hmm. So that's a really helpful thing to be, you know, to be considering. I will say that if you've ever struggled with severe depression that has taken you out of, of having like a functional life, sometimes the idea of letting yourself feel sadness and, and sad feelings that are totally normal when it's related to grief can feel just really scary. Like, oh, no, no, this is too close to how I used to yes, feel Yes, when things were really, really bad with my depression. That's what I was afraid of. And so you can get scared. Yes. Right. You get scared of feeling sadness or, or, or feeling grief. Grief, though, grief and sadness are, are, are not depression. Depression is is. There can be sadness associated with it, but it's more that void. It's it's just more the nothingness. I would say with grief, you've got some pretty sharp pain. You've got some pretty pure pain that comes with that. Mm-hmm. And knowing that that's actually healthy for us to feel those really tough feelings and know that actually feeling them could be something that could prevent us from having a depressive episode. It can feel kind of counterintuitive. Like if I'm trying to not be depressed, shouldn't I be avoiding feeling sad and dealing with things that would bring up sadness. But it's actually the opposite. If you can feel them and you can do it at a pace that feels manageable and, and like I can deal with this and still function, I'm not going to function as well when I'm feeling lots of sadness, but it's okay. I can still do that. I think you actually put yourself in a place where it is less likely that you're going to end up with a depressive episode smacking you and, and, and taking you down. Yeah. Thanks. That's that's certainly what I was trying to do. And I like your use of the word pacing, because that's what I feels like I did. Like I stretched that process out over the 11 months in between her hospitalizations. And, and now, yeah. you know, it's not like I'm, you know, wash my hands of it, but it's definitely different than it would have been. It's 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 less disruptive. That's a terrible word. It's less it's not changing my life in the way that it did 11 months ago. Um because I was completely unprepared, which sounds a little ridiculous when she was 97. But so, so the death of a really 
older person is very expected. A lot of the things that um, can trigger our depression, of course, are less expected. What do we do when they just boom out of nowhere? How do we protect ourselves and, and reduce the odds that we're going to be triggered into depression when we, when we can't anticipate it as much? Yeah. Yeah. It's more like a, um, what's my response to unexpected crisis, unexpected, huge amounts of stress. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's having a plan ahead of time. And again, this is where we, we sometimes need to help people know that, that this is really helpful to actually go ahead and plan. What would I do if I got hit with just some really horrible traumatic or major crisis kind of stuff. What what would I do? And to actually have a plan that's written out, who would you call? What resources are out there that you might forget in the midst of, you know, an emergency or a crisis? What kinds of things from your past experience do you know that if you start doing those things, it might give you the cushion to be able to absorb some of, you know, the blow? And so, I'm not saying that everybody has to sort of think, okay, what are all the possible stressful, awful things that could happen? But right. it's okay to sort of label it. Is this is this a low, moderate, or severe crisis? And then, like, what's your plan? What's a doable plan for you in each of those circumstances? So, you know, a small crisis, something that pops up, it's manageable, it is stressful, you know, do you need to create a little bit of extra space in your schedule to talk to somebody? or to do something nice for yourself. Same thing for moderate crises, where you might need additional resources, maybe even something like, got to call the psychiatrist, we might need a med change to be able to manage this. Certainly in severe crises, I think that's a really great idea. We pull all members of the treatment team and all of our supports on board, let them know what's going on, give them an opportunity to say, what can I do to help? And have thought maybe before then what would actually be helpful. If I didn't have to have any any meals that I had to prepare for a week or two, would that be helpful? For some people, yes. For other people, no. But if you if you can kind of think ahead, what would I need in this situation? It's sort of the same thing. Don't we have different outfits based on the season? So just like weather forecasting, we're going to change what we bring in based on the season and based on the elements. So what we're going to do each week to take care of ourselves and rely on resources should be tailored to what's going on, whether it was stuff that we could expect or stuff that hits us out of the blue. I have never heard the term stress forecasting. And and there are times, well, there are times it just comes out of nowhere, but there are times um, when a relationship is going bad, we know it is and that we're either going to have to do the hard work to fix it or end it. And uh, those are things that we can anticipate a bit. So there may actually be more warning than I was even thinking in a lot of stressful situations. Mm-hmm. And even the ones that aren't, you know, you start out your week and everything is fine. And then whatever it is that kind of hits from out of the blue... With the stress forecasting thing, we know whatever's happened is so stressful. I'm not going to be in great shape next week unless I, and then you fill it in the blank. And I think doing the laundry is probably should go to the bottom of the list. Mm -hmm. 
what shape will I be in next week if I make sure that I listen to some guided meditations every night to just try to get my head on straight about dealing with this major crisis? Or I make sure I have a good hour-long chat with my best friend who I know I'll feel support from and I and I and she'll put things into perspective for me. I've got that outside point of view. Those are the things that matter way more than the laundry. So that's why I'm saying with the stress forecasting, we can think about what do we need? What puts us in the best position to not have our mental back go out, you know, so that next week I can carry the load of this extra stress and strain because I've strengthened myself. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge part of stress forecasting. I love that you brought it back to the back going out. That was a nice way to end this uh, episode because you just sort of brought it back to the beginning. It is a different way of thinking, I think, that we have to be as careful to not do any harm to ourselves or to make the our mental situation worse in the way that we would not go out and take a run when we were still healing from spraining our ankle or something. So I'm grateful for the um, connection. Absolutely. And I like the idea of forecasting. You're right. I, I always have an umbrella in my car. Thanks for talking this through with me. You bet. Um, It was nice to take a a private moment and turn it into something more helpful. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the individual is universal and 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 vice versa. So I, I really appreciate your being willing to, to talk about what you've been through and what you learned from it. And just you just did such a smart thing, Terry, by making sure you got the help and the space to process a lot of stuff and deal with a lot of stuff before you got there. And I know I know, um, Brene Brown, she's one of my favorite people on the planet, but she calls this trying to have a dress rehearsal for tragedy, hmm. which I love. You know, we're, we're, we know something bad's going to happen. How are we going to get ready for it? You know, how, how let's try some things on and see, does this work? Does this work? And I love that. I love that. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding helped you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen 